0: Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. I'll invite you to look there in your Bibles with me. The title of the message today is How to Avoid Falling Short of God's Rest. Hebrews 4, verses 1 to 13. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Therefore, Let us fear, lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have fallen short of it. For indeed, we have heard good news proclaimed to us, just as they also. But the word that was heard did not profit those who were not united with faith among those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken somewhere in this way concerning the seventh day. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news proclaimed to them failed to enter because of disobedience, He again determines a certain day today saying through david after so long a time justice has been said before today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts for if joshua had given them rest he would not have spoken of another day after that so there remains a sabbath rest for the people of god for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from His. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall into the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are uncovered and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we have an account to give. Let's pray. This is your most holy word, God. God, breathed, given to us to reveal to us your truth that we might know you through your son and be conformed to his image. Accomplish that purpose now in the preaching of your word. We ask it in the name of your dear son. Amen. You can be seated. I wonder if you've ever had this experience. You take a vacation. You come back home from vacation. But somehow you are more tired after vacation than you were before you left. You ever had that happen? It's like on vacation you wore yourself slam out. And now that you're home, you need a vacation from your vacation. The Christian life can be a little bit like that. You see, as Christians, we are people who have answered the call of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you what? Rest. And we do have rest in him. We rest in the person and work of Jesus and have peace with God. We rest from the... From the need to try to work our way into God's favor. But for somebody who's supposed to be at rest, I sure do get weary sometimes. The the sinful desires of my own human nature, the temptations of the enemy to try to draw me away from Christ. I mean that's just nonstop. It is a constant battle. My own need for growth in Christ-likeness requires my constant energy and effort. And the work of making disciples is glorious work, but it's never-ending. This is an amazing and wonderful life to live As a believer. But it can be. Wearisome. And here's the reality. Here's what I want you to understand. We have entered rest. We we rest in the finished work of Christ. But we haven't yet. Entered into the full and complete rest. That God has promised. Are you you understanding what I'm saying? There is. There is. More to this rest. Than we currently experience. The author's intention. In the scripture that we are looking at this morning. Is to make sure. That none among us. Would fall short of entering. That full and complete rest. That God offers through. His son. Hebrews was written to a a jewish group a jewish church a jewish group of christians who were feeling pressure to return to the religion of judaism And, and what the author of hebrews does he writes to convince them that christ and the new covenant is superior to what they had in Moses and the old covenant. He said, don't go back to Judaism because what you have in Christ is superior to what you had under Moses. Not only that, it's the fulfillment of what you had under Moses. Now, like any church, the recipients of the letter of Hebrews included both those who were genuinely born again, but there are also those in the midst of them who were not yet truly born again. So just like, A typical group of people and he's writing to say to all of them don't abandon the faith for when you do that you abandon hope our text in Hebrews 4 is part of a larger section that begins at Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7 in this section the author is using Psalm 95 verses 7 through 11 to warn his audience of not making the same mistake the Exodus generation made who failed to enter the promised land. You remember that Exodus generation who came to the Jordan River and refused to cross over and take possession of the land and they did not enter God's rest? Well, he's using these words from Psalm 95 verses 7-11 through which are referring to that occasion... And what he's doing for us is telling us how to avoid falling short of rest the way that that exodus generation fell short. Now this is a lot of text to try to cover in one message. So I won't be able to deal with every little issue and answer every single question. I'll have to paint in somewhat broad strokes. But I want us to hear the message of this text today there are three things that the author of Hebrews says in these verses. And when we put those three things together, I think the message of these verses becomes clear. Here's the first thing he says. The promise of entering God's rest remains. I want you to notice verse 1. Notice what he says. Therefore, let us fear lest while a promise remains of entering his rest. Notice that phrase, a promise remains of entering his rest. Now, verse 1 is actually a warning, but he bases that warning on this fact a promise of entering God's rest does remain. So, before we look at the warning, I want to establish with you that the author shows us there is still. An offer of rest for the people of God now here's the two things we need to accomplish under this first point we need to establish that the promise of entering God's rest does in fact remain and we need to see what that rest actually is so here's the first thing I want you to notice the promise of entering God's rest was not nullified When the Exodus generation failed to enter the land because of unbelief and disobedience. Look back with me at chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. To whom did God swear they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. He's talking about that Exodus generation. He says they did not enter God's rest because of their unbelief and disobedience. But he goes on in the very next verse. And says, but a promise of entering God's rest still remains. So if you're following me, what that means is, despite their failure to enter God's rest, the promise of rest still remains. If you look at verse 6, that's exactly what he's telling us. He says two things in verse 6. He says, first of all, this generation of the Exodus generation... They heard the good news of the promise of the land, but they failed to enter because of disobedience. That's one thing he says. The second thing he says is, in spite of that, it remains for some to enter it. Look at it. Therefore, it remains for some to enter it, even though those who formerly had good news proclaimed to them failed to enter because of disbelief. Therefore, despite the exodus generations failure to enter the rest it remains for some to enter it so verse 7 god has determined another day for people to enter his rest and you'll see what he says there in verse 7 he refers to it as today today means an era of opportunity it's not referring to a specific 24-hour period what he's simply saying is The fact that Israel failed to enter, that first generation failed to enter God's rest did not cut off the opportunity to enter God's rest. The day to enter God's rest is still open. It's today. There is still an error. Here's what I want you to pay attention to. (coughs) Notice what verse 7 says. He again determines a certain day today, saying through David after so long a time, Just has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Okay, here's what I want you to see. That's a quote from Psalm 95, verse 7. David is quoting uh, from, he's referring to uh, the Exodus generation's failure to enter the land. Back in the book of Exodus. God spoke through David to David's generation. Don't harden your hearts like that first generation did. Listen to my voice. But keep something in mind. God was saying that to David's generation centuries after that first generation failed to enter the land. But he's telling David's generation the same thing he told that first generation. Don't harden your hearts. Listen to me. Why is he saying that? The reason is because the opportunity to interest is still available. Don't make the mistake they made. That's what the author of Hebrews wants us to see. Look, this promise was extended to David's generation, centuries after that first generation. That day is still available. That's the point he's trying to get us to see. That, that first generation failed to enter the land, but that doesn't nullify God's promise. Of rest, And I want you to notice this. Not only was the promise of rest not nullified when they failed to enter, the promise of entering God's rest was not fulfilled when they finally did enter. When they finally did occupy the land. Notice what it says in verse 8. If Joshua had given them rest he would not have spoken of another day after that. What he's saying there is, when God spoke to David in Psalm 95, through David to the people, he's offering the people rest. And then what he says in verse 8 is, if God's promise of rest had been fulfilled when the second generation of Israelites finally entered the land, then he wouldn't have said to David, Don't harden your heart. You understand? The reason he made that statement to David's generation is because that promise was not fulfilled when they entered the land. Now, what does all that mean? Rest, first of all, what it means is when we talk about rest, that does not mean living in the land of Canaan. Now, let me say this. God did talk to the people about giving them rest in the promised land. And he eventually did that. But the ultimate rest he offers his people is not rest in the land. So think about this. If God's promise of rest hasn't been nullified and if it hasn't been fulfilled yet, then what does that mean? The promise remains. Look at verse 9. That's exactly what he says. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. This is what I need you to see. Simply this. The author of Hebrews is telling us the promise of entering God's rest is still valid. The offer is still open, the opportunity is still offered. Now, what is God's rest? I want you to notice verse 9 I just read. He refers to it as a... Excuse me. He refers to it um, as a Sabbath rest. Now, with that in mind, look back at verses 3 to 5. If you'll look at verses 3 to 5, you'll notice something. (coughs) In verse 3, he quotes... From Psalm 95, verse 11. In Psalm five, he quotes from Psalm 95:11. And right in the middle of that is verse four, where he quotes from Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. So we kind of have a sandwich. He quotes Psalm 95:11. He quotes Genesis 2:2, 2, 2. And then he quotes Psalm ninety-five eleven again. Now, what's that all about? Well, in Psalm ninety-five eleven, that we see in verse three and verse five, what it says is, "They shall not enter my rest." Okay, you catch that? They shall not enter my rest. Now, in the middle, he quotes Genesis two two. His works were finished from the foundation of the world. Verse 3. For He has spoken somewhere in this way concerning the seventh day. God rested on the seventh day from all His works. Now I need you to think with me. Use your brain for just a minute. Why? It's clear He wants us to associate Genesis 2.2, the rest God took on the seventh day, with the promise of his rest in Psalm 95:11, which was the offer of Israel uh, at the first generation, and also Israel in the time of David, he wants us to equate those two things clearly. Why? What does the promise of rest offered to that first generation of Israelites? What does the promise of rest offer to David's generation? have to do with God's rest that he entered into on the first Sabbath, on the seventh day? Well, in everything. Here's the point. The rest God ultimately promised his people was never a rest in the land. The rest he was offering them was his own rest. He was giving them the opportunity to enter into his own rest he never says i'm going to give you your own rest did you notice all through this passage verse 1 it is his rest verse 3 god says my rest verse 5 it says my rest all through this passage it's not just rest in general it's god's rest that's why verse 9 calls it a sabbath rest we are entering into the rest God Himself enjoys. Does that make sense? The promise of rest is not about enjoying land, enjoying life in prosperity in the land of Canaan. It was He's telling the Jews. Remember, He's writing to Jewish people. He's writing to Jewish people who have begun to follow Christ. He wants them to know: if you go back to Judaism, you're not forfeiting rest in the promised land you're forfeiting something far bigger than that are you with me you're forfeiting the very rest god himself enjoys now i need to move on or we're never going to get through before tomorrow but i want you to notice something about god's rest his creation rest we're back now at verse four when god rested he ceased from his creating work right He didn't stop doing anything at all. God didn't stop any activity, period. If He stopped any activity, period, the whole world would collapse. What He stopped was His act of creation. I don't know if you ever noticed this. You read all through the creation account, it says evening and morning were the first day, evening and morning were the second day, evening and morning were the third day. It does all the way through six. Did you ever notice it doesn't do that with with, with the seventh day? The seventh day God rested. What does that mean? That means when God entered into that rest, it never stopped. In other words, God's rest is is not something that was limited to that 124-hour period. God's rest from his creating work, that particular rest it talked about is God still is in the mode of rest. He's not inactive, but he has ceased his creating work and what does he do? He, what is the Sabbath about? What is God's rest about? It's ceasing from his labor of creation and delighting in all that he has done. Genesis 1 verse 31. And God saw all that he had made and behold it was. What? Very good. See, that's what Sabbath rest is. It's resting from labor to delight in all that God has done. Now, I want you to stick with me for just a minute. For you and I to enjoy God's rest is to cease from our labors and delight in God. Delight in all that He is and all that He's done. Think about it this way. It's for us to enjoy the rest that Adam and Eve enjoyed before the fall. What did they do? They just delighted in all that God had done, all that He was, and all that He created. There was no stress, there was no striving, there was no strain. And when He says this, notice this in, in verse 9. So we're saying the rest that we're being offered is God's rest. It's a Sabbath rest. But notice what the verse says. There remains a Sabbath rest. What that tells us is the rest he's speaking about here, this Sabbath rest, is primarily a future rest. It remains. Yes, we have entered into rest in one sense in Christ. We rest. We're free from the burden of trying to earn our salvation. We're at rest. But the rest he's telling us about here is something that is ahead of us. I want to prove that to you. Look at verse 10. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. What is he saying there? If we had already entered the rest God had promised, we would have ceased from our labors the same way God did. Now look at me. Have we ceased from our labors? No. No. What's the old hymn say? We'll work till Jesus comes. We still labor in the fight against sin. We still labor in our effort to become more like Jesus. We still labor, right, to make disciples. Now, we do it in the strength of God, but we still labor. What he's telling us is, he's saying, friends, there is a rest out there when the labor you have known in this life will be over and you will be able To cease from all that labor and simply spend eternity delighting in all that God is and all that God's done. An eternal Sabbath. That's the promise of rest that remains. But the author of Hebrews knows that some have failed to enter that rest. So, he gives us a warning. Here's the second thing he says to us. Fear lest you fall short of God's rest. Now we're back at verses 1 and 2. Therefore. Fear. Lest while a promise of entering his rest remains. Any one of you may seem to have fallen short of it. Okay here's the idea. He is concerned that none among the Hebrew uh, church would be found having come short of God's rest. When it talks about falling short of God's rest, what it means is to fail to enter, to come up short of it, to fail to reach it. In other words, when Christ returns, He doesn't want any of them to still be outside of the kingdom. He wants them to have entered into God's, Rest, And he says, therefore, let us fear. Take very seriously. Why does he tell us to fear lest we should fall short of God's rest? Because it's possible that you could fall short of God's rest. Remember, you see the word therefore at the beginning of verse 1? That connects us back to verses 18 and 19 of chapter 3. That's where he said that that first exodus generation did not enter the promised land because of their lack of faith and their disobedience. So, because they failed to enter rest, fear lest you should make the same mistake. Take very seriously the possibility that you could come short of entering into God's rest. Verse 2, For indeed we have had good news proclaimed to us, just as they also. But the word that was heard did not profit those who were not united with faith among those who heard. Here's the point. He says that first Exodus generation, they heard the preaching of the good news. Not the same gospel we heard, but they heard Joshua and Caleb. You remember when they came back from spying out the land, They said the land is everything God promised and more. It's right there. God's promised to give it to us. If we'll just take him at his word and enter the land, we'll have rest. They heard the good news. God through Joshua and Caleb. (coughs) What does he say the problem was? He said the problem was the word they heard did not profit those who were not united with faith among those who heard in other words despite hearing the good news about the rest god had offered his people they didn't receive it they didn't benefit from the preaching of god's word because the good news they heard was not united with faith in other words they didn't have the same faith Joshua and Caleb had. It's not enough just to hear the good news. You have to respond to it in faith. Joshua and Caleb had faith. So Joshua and Caleb did enter into the land. God's rest. The rest of the Exodus generation. Did not have faith. And they did not enter the land. And then he says. We have had good news preached to us. Just as they did. Right? We've heard the good news. We hear the preaching of God's Word every Sunday. We've heard the, 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 the preaching of sin and the cross and salvation most of us more times than we can remember. And this is what he's saying. But if that hearing is not united with faith, you still won't enter God's rest. There's a possibility that even though you've heard the offer of rest through the gospel you could still fall short of it if you don't unite that hearing with faith, if you don't respond to it in faith. Now, I want to show you something. If you'll notice in verse 19 of chapter 3, it says the Exodus generation did not enter God's rest because of unbelief. You see that? You see it in verse 2. It says they heard the good news, but it didn't profit them. Because they didn't have faith. So their problem was a lack of faith or unbelief, which is the same thing. But I want you to see something else. Look at verse 18 of chapter 3. To whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Look at verse 6. It remains for some to enter. Those who formerly had good news proclaimed to them failed to enter because of what? Disobedience. Verse 11, therefore let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall into the same example of what? Disobedience. So he says, look, they didn't enter God's rest because of unbelief. He says they didn't enter because of disobedience. So is the problem unbelief or is the problem disobedience? Yes. Here's the point. Genuine faith is always reflected in obedience. Their lack of faith, their unbelief was evident because they didn't obey. If they had obeyed God's call to march in and take the land, that was evidence that they believed his promise that he's going to give them. In other words, they believed the good news. So they did what God said. That's how you demonstrate faith, by doing what God says. That's why the Bible says faith without works is dead. It's not of any use if you don't act on it. So here's the point. When he says you have to hear the good news with faith, he means the kind of faith that demonstrates its genuineness by action, by obedience. <coughs> here's what I want you to understand. He is warning those in, the, in this group of Jewish Christians, some genuine Christians, some not, He is warning them that if you return to Judaism, to the religion of the Jews, I want you to understand the consequences of failing to persevere in faith and obedience. He says, you've heard the good news. But if you don't continue in faith and obedience to the good news, all that hearing is going to be of no good. Are you with me? So he's telling him, fear lest you should fall short of God's rest. How do you fall short of it? By not continuing in faith and obedience. Because hearing is only good if you unite it with faith and obedience. It's a warning. Hebrews 3 verse 12, see to it brothers that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. ...that falls away from the living God. It's a warning. See to it that you don't have an evil, unbelieving heart. Here's another warning. Hebrews 2, verses 1-3. to For this reason we must pay much closer attention... ...to what we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable... ...and every trespass and disobedience received a just penalty... ...how will we escape if we neglect so great salvation... Here's another warning not to fall short of salvation. You see what he said at the beginning of Hebrews 2 verse 1? For this reason we must pay much closer attention lest we drift away. Do you notice he said we? He included himself. Did he not think he was really a Christian? No. He knew he was a Christian. But you hear what I'm fixing to tell you. The warnings in Scripture about falling short of eternal salvation the warnings about falling short of entering god's rest they're not for them they're for us preacher don't you believe in eternal security i do we'll get to that in just a minute but i need you to understand something The warnings in the Bible are a gift of God's grace. My daughter's fixing to have a little one. When that little one gets old enough to reach up for things, she's going to reach up for everything. She may toddle up toward the stove one day and reach up for a pot to see what's in it. It could be very hot. What's her mama going to do? She's going to say, no, 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 baby. could hurt you really really bad what's she doing what is that warning it's an act of grace right she's protecting her from harm by giving her a warning what does god do when he gives us these warnings he's protecting his children saying don't go there it'll hurt you he's keeping us he's preserving us in the faith By means of using these warnings, you understand? They're a gift of grace. The promise of entering God's rest remains, but it's possible to fall short of it. So, what response does that call for from us? The answer is the third thing the author of Hebrews says to us in these verses Be diligent to enter God's rest. Be diligent to enter God's rest. And here we go down to verse 11. In light of the fact that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. He says in verse 11, let us be diligent to enter that rest. Be diligent means make every effort. Let us make every effort to enter into the rest God has made available for his people. Now notice what else he says. Be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall into the same example of disobedience. Now, what does that mean? In other words, we don't want to fall short of entering God's rest by following the example of disobedience of that first Exodus generation. We don't want to let what happened to them happen to us. We don't want to fall into disobedience the way they did. So what do we do? We make every effort to enter God's rest. We make every effort to enter God's rest. Now before we talk about what exactly that means, I want you to notice something. Verses 12 and 13. These are normally preached as a separate sermon where people talk about the uh, the you know the power of God's word it's living and active and all those things but what i want you to see is the reason i included them in this sermon is because i want you to see what these verses mean in context and how the author's using these verses here notice what verse 12 says the word of god is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What does all that mean? That means the word of God is not an inanimate object. It is a living organism. It is alive and powerful. And it has the ability to penetrate to the deepest part of every soul. It it leaves nothing hidden. In other words, The Word of God exposes every thought, it exposes every motive, it exposes every desire, it exposes everything about you. The Word of God brings everything about you to light. Nothing is hidden from it. Look at verse 13. There is no creature hidden from His sight, God's sight. But all things are uncovered and laid bare to the eyes of Him to whom we have an account to give. Here's the idea. you will be completely exposed before god god's word will expose you completely see here's what we normally think we think we read god's word no no no. god's word reads us and it opens you up it reveals every intimate detail about you for god to see and verse 13 says there's nothing going to be hidden from god And we're going to have to give an account to him. What does all that have to do with rest? He says, make every effort to enter God's rest. Don't be found in a state of unbelief. And here's what he adds. Because any shred of unbelief in you is going to be exposed before God. And you're going to have to give an account for it. Does that make sense? You see how these verses fit into the conversation? Don't let yourself fall into unbelief because it will be exposed and you will have to answer God for any unbelief. That's why he says be diligent to enter God's rest. What does that mean? It means be diligent to persevere in faith and obedience. Make every effort to persevere in faith and obedience. What was the mistake that generation of the Israelites that missed the promise? Now, their mistake was a lack of faith and a lack of obedience, which essentially are the same thing. What he's saying is you want to make sure you make every effort to continue in faith and obedience. Hebrews 3.14, For we have become partakers of Christ, If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm to the end. What does that mean? That means we've become partakers of Christ if we persevere in faith to the end. 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and choosing sure. For in doing these things you will never stumble. For in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior will be abundantly supplied to you. This is what he says, be diligent to make sure you're in the faith for that's how you know you'll have entrance into the kingdom of God. In other words, persevere in faith, in obedience. Now, I told you I was going to address this issue of eternal security. And I want to do that quickly. What we actually believe is referred to as the perseverance of the saints. Okay, You'll never hear me say once saved always saved. I don't like that I don't like that terminology Because it gives an idea that's not necessarily true people hear that to mean once you walked an aisle and make a profession of faith That means you're always going to be saved and in the kingdom. We don't believe that We believe that those who are genuinely born again will persevere in the faith They will continue in faith and obedience. Here's what we believe We believe the grace of God that saves you. The grace of God that has the power to save you also has the power to keep you. That's what we believe. We don't believe you can make a profession of faith and then go live anyhow you want to and you're saved. No. No. That's why you'll never hear me say once saved, always saved. I'll say if saved. Always saved. Okay, here's what I said. The grace of God that has the power to save you also has the power to keep you, but I want you to hear what I'm fixing to say. This is is critical. I know I'm going long, but just hang with me. The keeping grace of God. The fact that God's grace can keep you does not absolve you of the responsibility to persevere in faith and obedience. It gives you the ability to persevere in faith and obedience. Are you listening to me? The keeping grace of God does not absolve you of the responsibility to persevere in faith and obedience. It gives you the ability to persevere and obedience. In other words, just because we say God's grace has the power to keep you, doesn't mean you don't have to persevere. What that means is the grace of God is what enables you to persevere. You still have to persevere. Those who endure to the end will be saved. <coughs> That's why the Bible, the Bible book we just finished looking at closes the very last verse 2 peter three eighteen, 18 in grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ in other words utilize all the means of grace god has given you to keep moving forward when i talk about the means of grace i mean the things god has given us the gifts of grace god has given us to help us to move forward in the christian life the word of god prayer the church fellow believers The sacraments, all the things that God has given to us to use, to lean on, to rely on, to help us keep moving forward. Use all of those. Take advantage of them to help you keep moving forward in the faith. Let me try to put all this together for you so you can hear the message of these verses. Here it is right here. Here's the whole thing. Since the promise of entering God's rest remains, avoid falling short of it by diligently persevering in faith and obedience since the promise of entering God's rest remains avoid falling short of it by persevering in faith and obedience that's the whole thing listen the day's coming church when you can you can take off the armor and lay down the sword because the battle against sin and satan will be over the day is coming when you'll have to expend no more energy and no more effort in an attempt to become more like jesus Because on that day, he who began a good work in you will have completed it. And you'll be like him. The day is coming when we'll have to pour out no more prayers and tears in our efforts to try to reach people for Christ, in our effort to try to raise up disciples for Jesus. Because our labors here will have ended. And we'll finally be at rest. No more striving, no more straining, no more stressing. We will forever delight in God and all of his works unhindered by sin and corruption. We will glorify and enjoy God forever, a perfect people in a perfect place in the presence of our perfect Lord. The message today is please, please don't fall short of that keep moving forward in faith and obedience keep fighting against sin keep striving for holiness keep trusting god's promises utilize all the means of grace god has given you and press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of god in christ jesus can i tell you it'll be worth every tear it'll be worth every trial so set your mind and your eyes and your heart On things above and keep moving forward in Jesus. Keep moving forward for Jesus. Keep moving forward with Jesus. And there will be rest. Let's pray.